Welcome to PSQH the podcast. I'm your host Jay Kumar, editor-in-chief of PSQH. On this episode I talked to Mark Leroux, CEO of Verado, about the impact inaccurate patient identification can have on quality of care and patient safety. Hi, this is Jay Kumar, editor-in-chief of PSQH, and I'm joined today by Mark Leroux, CEO of Verado. How you doing, Mark? Hi, Jay. I'm good today. Excellent. Um, and to, to get started, could you just sort of tell uh, tell us a little bit about um, you and, uh, and your company and what you do? Yeah, yeah, thanks. Um, and Jay, thanks for having me on the on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, so I'm Mark Leroux, the CEO of Verado. We're a software company, a venture-backed software company located or headquartered out of Washington, D.C. area. And um, we are in the business of patient matching. We have next-generation patient matching software based on this new technique called referential matching that your listeners are probably been hearing about if they know anything about patient matching. And um, yeah, I'm happy to be on this podcast to talk to you about the problems and issues in patient matching. Well, let's jump right into that. Um, you know, how big of a problem is patient matching? And, and I guess, you know, what can, uh, you know, what do you see uh, that the industry needs to do about it? Okay. Well, so, so patient, so let me, let me take a half a step back if I can, Jay. Sure. Uh, just define patient matching just a little bit for the people that don't know, uh, that don't have that grounding. But, you know, patient identification, patient matching, uh, they're all kind of revolving around the same thing. It's not about usernames and passwords. This is really about making sure that the person who comes in the door, the person, the, that person's identity can be correctly connected to all of their medical data, medical records, medical information. That's what the whole purpose of, in fact, when you think about it, you know, the physicians, the only reason why they need to know your identity at all is that they can bill you correctly. <laughs> and then secondarily to make sure that they have and can tie all of your information correctly to you. So, so, um, so patient matching itself, the technology patient matching and the need for patient identity is today pervasive across healthcare. And, um, and uh, I know I've been a little bit oblique about what identity is, but what we mean by patient identity is, you know, it's simple. It's a person's name and address, date of birth, phone number, email, you know, that it's that collection of, we call them attributes that ultimately identify a person in the world and, and presumably uniquely identify them. And um, these names, address, dates of birth are captured at the moment of registration, inpatient, outpatient, diagnostic visit, imaging visit, you know, emergency department visit, and now telemedicine visit. So it's captured at all of those points in time, and then it creates an immense number of medical artifacts or data that are tagged, your medical records are tagged with name, address, date of birth. And so the whole problem of identity and ultimately patient matching is to make sure that the name, address, date of birth of the person walking in the door is the same as the name, address, date of birth is on all the person's medical data. So that's what patient identity and patient matching is all about. I haven't told you how patient matching works, but let me tell you what the problem is, which was yeah. your first question. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so the problem is this. The problem is, is that that information I just mentioned, name, address, date of birth, phone number, there, it's, it's, it's incredibly prone to errors. Errors when people transcribe it, the registrar transcribes it, 
it's prone to errors because it changes over time. People get married, they change their names, they move, they change their address. Um, people put in default values for their birthday when they don't want an institution to actually know their exact birthday. And it gets confused all the time with spouses who have the same address and the same phone number and very close to the same name. In fact, I'm Mark LaRoe in Vienna, Virginia. My wife is Mary LaRoe in Vienna, Virginia. Same phone number, same address. The only thing different in our names is one letter. <laughs> and you can imagine those are the twins, babies, spouses, siblings. There's all sorts of ambiguity in a person's identity, even when you think it should be perfect. Like there's no other Mark LaRoe living at my address with my birthday. It should be perfect, but it's not. And here's the problem. So uh, that, uh, and, and Verado has seen this. We, we do work with customers all the time. We measure the degree of inaccuracy in their identity information, their patient databases. And it doesn't really matter what the customer has. They might have Epic, they might have Cerner, they might be using IBM Initiate, they might be using Nextgate. They all have error rates in the identity in their databases upwards of 30%. And not even upwards, at an average of 30%. So sometimes it's good as 15%, but sometimes it's as bad as 45% error rates in a person's identity. Uh, and then uh, there's one more transformation. So lock that number 30% in your head. That's in an average patient database. That's the number of identities that have either out of date or incorrect information about the patient's identity. In trying to match patients, okay, is this person who just walked in the door the same as the, as the same as, you know, all these medical records? There's software that exists to try and see through that 30% of error. And that software is either embedded in an EHR product or it's embedded in an EMPI, Enterprise Master Patient Index product. And, and, and those two products do patient matching. They try and resolve some of that ambiguity and make the error rate less than 30%. And in fact, what the state-of-the-art traditional technology can achieve is error rates, or they call them duplicate rates in, in the healthcare setting, duplicate medical records, two medical records for the same person, but the system doesn't know it's the same person, hence duplicate. Duplicate rates back in 2008 hovered around 8 to 12% duplicate rates in an average hospital system setting. In 2018, 10 years later, the duplicate rate has gotten worse, not better. It's, got, it's gone from an average of you know, 10%, 8 to 12%, I meant, so 10% duplicate rate in 2008 to now 18% in 2018. Why is that? So, um, well, yeah, it's a great question. It's, it's not because the software has gotten dumber. It's not because registrars are got, have gotten sloppier. Um, the real reason, Jay, is because there's so much more data exchange going on in hospital system, in, in all healthcare settings. And when you exchange data about individuals, when you send in a record for Mark LaRoe from the imaging system, and it has to be matched to, and the imaging system is now capturing Mark LaRoe's identity, and you have to match it to the Mark LaRoe in the EHR system, every new system that contributes an identity or receives an identity has the opportunity of injecting an error in that Mark LaRoe identity. And as soon as that error is injected, it metastasizes. Now, there's two Mark LaRoe's in the system. And each of those two Mark LaRoe's has the potential of becoming another Mark LaRoe. 
So the re- so I know that was a long answer, Jay. But the re- the the reason it's gotten worse is because we're doing so much more m- medical information exchange and capture. And that could I guess I, I'm assuming like you know if they spell your name wrong, if they put L E R O W as opposed to L A, that could also create a problem, correct? Oh yeah, every yes, absolutely, Jay. Every. So, so transcribing the name, like mm. you just said, L E, my name actually has a capital R in the middle of it, right. Laro. <laughs> so, Law in a lot of systems, Law is my middle name, Ro is my last name. There's an error sequence that happens a lot. Hyphenations screw up names, apostrophes screw up names, and and everybody takes care of them differently. So, yes. Yeah, I've seen my name spelled many different ways, so I can imagine it's a, it can be a problem. Um, so really, even your your name is relatively simple, so I'm surprised at that. But, uh, sometimes um, I get maybe I get I'm not. Called, I get called Jake Umar, so my last they think my last name is U M A R. So like I've got ah. I've gotten mail, you know, under that name, uh, and then you know C O U M A R, and yeah, that's that's kind of funny. Yep. Um, that's it. So how how does this Im- impact healthcare quality and patient safety? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know the the most obvious answer to that, and I'll qualify this in a second. The most obvious answer to that is that, you know, if a caregiver, a physician, or now a care manager, or anybody involved in a person's care uh, journey, <laughs> doesn't have all of the information for a patient, well, so the primary the primary problem that bad patient identity, bad patient matching uh, causes is an inability to bring all of a person's medical information together. You only get half of it or a quarter of it, depending on how many duplicates are. So obviously the caregiver only has half of the information. So they're missing lab tests. They're missing, uh, and so they have to order another test sequence or they're, or they're missing uh, uh, an allergy. They're missing... They're just Cru- missing data typically from the history of your life, and and the missing yeah missing crucial information. And um, where that is particularly poignant is between the four walls of different health systems. Within a within a health system, you might see error rates in that eighteen percent I was mentioning earlier. So one in five patient encounters, one in five patients, almost twenty percent, the doctor doesn't have all of the information about the patient. Between care settings between hospital systems, between a hospital system and a urgent care setting or a telemedicine setting, that disconnect can be as much as 50%. Wow. Yeah. Um, but but I, if I can elaborate on that just a little bit more, this impact sure. of safety and care, there's a lot of, I mean, we give it a lot of lip service, but, and, but to be honest with you, this is not something new. We've had this problem for decades, and to a very large extent, we've learned to live with it. Doctors have learned to expect that they have to rerun tests. And let's face it, an entire generation of doctors kind of barely looked at past history. <laughs> I mean, for better. Uh, but, but, but the other thing that I think we are all noticing is that this next generation of physicians uh, are intensely interested in data and information. They've grown up with it. It's part of their entire education and, and social life is to acquire information, read it, absorb it, and then act. So I think we're at an inflection point where whatever we were doing before is certainly going to be no longer good enough going forward because we don't have, um, we have a different generation. Um, and, and so this is where 
I guess, effective patient matching would come into play, correct? To kind of oh, yeah. I mean, improve this situation. Yeah. I mean, so, yeah. So the, the, the question at hand, in fact, I was in an ONC all day. Uh, the Office of the National Coordinator hosted an entire day workshop, brought in 30 to 40 different experts, either providers or payers or technology people like me or privacy people, brought them all in for a day long of testimony to kind of focus on what can do. The whole industry is recognizing that whatever we've done for patient matching in the past might have been acceptable, might barely be adequate now, but it's certainly not adequate going forward. And what can we do about it? And there's not a button called better patient matching that people can push. Like uh, short of new technology, which is one of the reasons why Rado now exists, uh, short of new technology, there's nothing on the horizon that can solve this problem other than a new technology. Um, but, you know, but before I leave that one topic about the impact of safety and care, I mentioned there's an inflection point with the next generation of doctors, physicians focusing more on data. The other thing, which is probably even bigger, and this was came up at the ONC meeting, that is causing the inflection point uh, in the need for better patient matching, more accurate data about patients, is the fact that there's, there's an, there is a seeming explosion of new systems and new data being created that is either about the patient or about the proper precision care that should be given to a patient based upon their data. And uh, if you take that as if you take that as a tenant, that there will be that whatever amount of data we have about a patient today is going to double or triple, and the amount of care variations that we might apply to a patient's situation based upon their data is now exploding with all of the work in bioinformatics our reliance on data and correct data is going to be extraordinarily important in the decade and decades ahead. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess, you know, obviously you, you mentioned there's sort of, this is why Verado kind of came into being, you know, what do companies like you, like yours uh, do to kind of address this? Yeah. 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 Companies like ours. Yeah. So um, patient matching. So, yeah. So um, traditionally, patient matching, this this technology that helps us reduce 30 percent of inaccurate patient identities down to an eight or now 18 percent duplicate rate. Traditionally, the technology to do that has been purely algorithmic. In fact, it was invented in the late 1960s at an IBM research lab. And it's quite simple the way it works. It's compare the first name of one identity to the first name of the next. The middle name compared to the middle name, last name to last name, street number, street number, street name, street name. Compare all the things head to head, all the evidence you have about one identity to all the attributes you have of another identity. And if they line up exactly, then it's the same person. But when they don't line up exactly, when there's variations like Mark spelled with a K or Mark spelled with a C or J versus Jake, the example you brought up, mm -hmm. These algorithms are intended to decide whether Jay and Jake are probably the same person and the mistake is simply in transcription or the mistake is simply a nickname or the mistake is a homonym error, which is the Jay and Jake example that you gave just a moment ago. And this has been the state of the art, like I said, since 1969, this purely algorithmic process. 
And it's what has gotten us now to this 18% duplicate rate, which is bad, but it's much better than it would be without this technology. The next generation of patient matching that's being promoted by Verado and several other companies is called referential matching. And the primary difference uh, is that it uses, quote, big data and fuzzy matching. And uh, I won't get into those things. They sound sexy and I want to throw them out there. But fundamentally, this new technology uses a gigantic reference database to be used as a as a, as a reference, a truth base, an answer sheet, if you will. And um, just having this third-party database of identities with which to compare all potential other identities can improve the patient matching by 50 to 75 percent. Wow. And that's the biggest, that's the biggest yeah. thing on the horizon right now to, to help the problem. Now, you sort of mentioned that you have that sort of database to compare with. Is that individual, like do individual companies have their own or is that a shared thing? Yeah, uh, good question. Is? No, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what we're talking about here is is identity data. So it's name and address data birth. It's the kind of stuff that is, you know, available commercially okay. and um, and available from the government and available. but the best data of that sort costs a lot of money. You know, you have to buy it from the government. You have to buy it from credit agencies. You have to buy it from other aggregators of data that are reliable and have the full privacy spectrum built into their collection so that um, you can offer the service with, um, with the full expectation that, the, that um, the data is obtained in the right way and it's being used in the right way. But to put all of that data together and to create a, in essence, an MPI, a master patient index of the entire country, which is what Parado's done, requires a, a fairly tremendous amount of money. And so it would be well beyond the, the resources of any hospital system or even a, a large payer. And which is why a company like Parado exists. We absorb that cost. We apply data scientists to it far more at a far higher volume than any of our customers ever could. But then we can spread that cost across all of our customers by making it a shared resource. Okay. And what are, I guess, steps that healthcare organizations can take to improve patient matching, obviously beyond just hiring, you know, the services of a company like yours? Yeah. Well, look, traditionally what companies have done to improve patient matching, if let me tell you what companies have done. Let me tell you what the government is thinking of doing, and then I'll give you an idea of what the ONC discussion kind of revolved around, too. So let me give you. Traditionally, hospital systems, payers, what they would do is, um, uh, well, they certainly have hired a, a number of people called data stewards, anywhere from two to four to 20. And their job, day in and day out, week in, week out, is to review patient records and update them when they think that there's an error or when a patient comes in and announces that that the patient that you're missing some uh, medical records for them. And so historically, hospital systems have applied manual resources to try and reduce the error rate. Uh, and obviously, that's a very expensive proposition, and nobody ever invests enough money to completely fix it all. Uh, the other tactic that hospital systems have historically relied upon is to do yearly cleanups or every two years spend a million dollars with an outside company 
to bring in resources and maybe some technology, and again, clean up the patient manage, uh, clean up the patient database. Uh, and quite frankly, those two tactics, hiring people or periodically hiring somebody from the outside to do uh, yearly cleanups, that's been the mode of operation for a dozen years or more, the only solution. Mm -hmm. um, uh, a number of hospital systems uh, and studies have shown that if you apply biometrics at the point of every patient presentment, at every registration desk, at every um, you know, uh, imaging facility, at every test facility, what have you, you have a much higher likelihood of getting a patient's identity into the system correctly, thereby avoiding the Jay Kumar and Jake Umar problem. Uh, so biometrics has been another one. It's been only modestly adopted because it requires a fairly big investment in hardware and change of processes. Uh, um, but people look at biometrics as a probable long-term solution to the problem. When I say probable long-term, you know, 10 years, like it'll take 10 years for it to actually make a big effect across broad spectrum of healthcare. Um, and then the other thing that people are thinking about, again, as a long-term solution is, is a government-issued uh, national patient identifier. Give every person in the country a national patient ID, like a social security number, but for healthcare. And that does, too, also have a lot of um, proponents but, um, but also a very broad recognition that that one might take not 10 years, but kind of 15 years to be fully embedded into all of the medical records and in all of the healthcare places. You know, it's going to take a huge amount of time to get that embedded yeah. in all of our existing infrastructure. So in the meantime. So to be honest with you. Yeah, in the, yeah. To be honest with you. So in the meantime, if you did, if you were doing the scorekeeping that I just said, I think um, the most practical thing, and this is why broader is the most practical thing that companies do today, is they either plug referential matching in to their existing Epic or Cerner or IBM Initiate system and have it help get you know resolve 50% of the errors that those products miss, uh, or replacing the patient matching that's currently done in Epic or Cerner or, or Initiate with pure referential matching, so not just supplement but replace and those are really the two those are really the two practical paths in the short term and um and you mentioned that um you know you were uh, participating in that onc um event um how did that go like what was sort of the general vibe that you got from that from that uh session i guess yeah. sort of about about this whole issue yeah, it was a, it was a well it was a well designed event by the ONC. They had the morning set aside largely for um, the users of patient matching, so hospital systems um, and um, payers, clinics, other providers, and their major message from the morning was that that whatever we saw as the patient matching problem right now, it's only going to get worse, and we we need to we the entire industry needs to do something to address it. So there was a lot of testimony about the need for doing something more and something different than what we've been doing for the last 20 years. That came across loud and clear. And then in the afternoon, it was largely about what are the potential solution avenues. And I've already mentioned a few of them to you. 
referential matching, I put forward, several other people put that forward, uh, biometrics, national patient identifier. And then the fourth one that I didn't mention yet on this podcast, Jay, is uh, there's also a strong, um, a strong movement afoot to try and get the industry to at least standardize on the identity data that it captures from patients. Let's all capture name, address, date of birth, social security number, phone number, email. And when we capture it, let's capture it consistently where we don't use apostrophes, even if there is one in a, custom, in a patient's name. Let's, let's, if we can all standardize how we capture the data, then that's got to move the needle somewhat also on better patient matching. How, uh, how difficult that, is it to standardize something industry-wide? Is it, is it, you know, I, I would imagine you've got, like you mentioned, you know, people using their own systems that they've been using for years and years, uh, or, you know, how, how hard is it to get yeah. everybody to do the same thing? Oh, very. You know, it, it's easy to publish a standard, and everybody knows what the standard should be. It's e- but you, you hit the nail on the head. It's super hard uh, to get all of the technologies, all of the software mm-hmm. packages that manage name, address, date of birth, to begin capturing it differently. And it's not technically hard. It just takes a lot of companies to change their software right. and schedule the release. And then it takes a lot of hospital systems to accept that new release and plug it in. And then it takes a lot of hospitals the time to go back through all of its patient records and reformat all of the data to the new format <laughs> while yeah. they're still dealing with patients walking in the door. Um, and then they have to go into all the medical records and change all the medical records in the coding of the I- So there's a lot of infrastructural inertia that has to be overcome, even with something as simple as establishing a new standard for name, address, date of birth. Yeah, it's, it's largely the inertia or the infrastructure within every healthcare system, U.S. being just one of them. It's that infrastructure and the distributed decision-making. Every hospital makes its own decision at its own time with its own budgetary restrictions that kind of prevents the country from doing any one thing uniformly uh, for the benefit of all. And so, um, so smaller solutions where one hospital system can improve its own patient matching <laughs> um, and they can do it independent of what anybody else does seems to be the most rational path forward uh, for the short term. Again, yeah. 10 years, 20 years, biometrics, national patient ID, something like that can have an effect, but we need to get to that point. And I guess, you know, we aren't too far removed from hospitals just having paper records. So, you know, we have made advancements over the years. Yeah, advancements that we can be really proud of, um, painful yeah. but proud. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, how has, you know, we obviously, you know, we're into uh, month four, I guess, of, you know, serious COVID-19, you know, crackdowns. Um, how has the pandemic affected patient data and integrity? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> so you, uh, we've all seen the news. Um, maybe, maybe some people have also recognized what they see behind the news and all these reports. Look, I think, so COVID-19 has done two things to this, to the problem of patient matching and, and more broadly data integrity. That's because that's what patient matching is all about, getting better integrity with the data that we have. Um, two things. Number one is that with all of this effort around uh, epidemic control, 
what we're seeing is that we have many more systems uh, uh, requiring contributing identity data or consuming identity data. And if you remember what I told you earlier, the more systems, the more people, the more systems you have interacting, either contributing identities or absorbing identities, you have an exponential increase in probability of getting patient mismatches. And that mismatch begins to pollute the data for Mark LaRoe for all of my interactions. So that's thing one. More systems is causing a distinct degradation in data integrity. The second, and, uh, the second thing uh, that COVID has pointed out is the necessity for better inter uh, data exchange between entities, between the four walls, between a hospital system and a testing facility, and a testing facility and the public health facility. Um, you know, the, the sad truth is, is that um, a lot of the epidemiologists working in the public health departments are spending more of their time cleaning up data, eliminating duplicates manually, than they are analyzing and predicting what's going to happen next. They're spending all night long cleaning the data so that the next day they can spend two hours consolidating it and giving it to their bosses to do the press release and make the decisions about mask or no mask, open or not open. So uh, COVID-19 has just put an exclamation point on the necessity for much better identification and matching. And I guess another question I had is, um, how widespread is uh, patient identification technology in U.S. hospitals? Does everybody, yeah. is everybody doing it in some form or fashion, or are there, are there still uh, places that aren't doing it, or at least not doing it well? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Look, yeah, I guess um, it's pervasive, okay? I mean, it's um, you'd be very hard-pressed to see any hospital system, except for the smallest um, community hospital, perhaps, which is still identifying patients by eyeball and human being. Uh, they, you know, the volume is so low. But patient matching, this technology that does patient matching, it exists in every EHR product. So Epic has its module. Cerner has its module. Athena has its module. So it exists everywhere, and when it's not in an EHR product, it exists as a standalone bespoke piece of technology called an EMPI, Enterprise Master Patient Index, that is exactly what Verado is. And um, so it is pervasive across healthcare, payers, providers. It's also, interestingly enough, now existing in many third-party healthcare IT apps. So precision medicine apps, um, clinical decision support apps, uh, uh, patient data warehouses for either clinical purposes or for marketing purposes. All of those technologies are also now embedding, either they're OEMing from a company like Verado or they're trying to write their own, their own patient matching technology because every one of them is dealing with patient data. So it is pervasive. I guess the, the question is consistency and, and obviously improving the accuracy of what you have. Yeah. You know, here's a sad truth. Um, there is no measure. There is no accepted third-party measure about how good patient matching technology is. Like, um, And this probably gets to, your, to the safety um, side of the question. You know, in in the if you consider having accurate information about your uh, about your patient, having all of the information about your patient, 
and having no information commingled, so data from two different patients by accident put into one record, which is uh, you know an, an abhorrent situation from a safety yeah. perspective. If you consider that having bad patient matching is fundamentally a, a patient safety issue, which indeed it is, it's a cost issue, et cetera, but it's also a patient safety issue. You know, in the food industry, we have inspectors that go out and inspect food processing plants for safety. We have uh, governmental organizations that go to grocery stores and, and they monitor the refrigeration consistency. And they monitor the refrigeration consistency of the entire supply chain of the food from the factory to the truck to the distribution to the grocery store. We have all of that in place. We monitor, they measure. There's no such thing in healthcare there's no such thing that's monitoring and measuring the efficacy of patient matching technology X versus Y versus Z, let alone how each hospital system implements it. So there, so to answer your question, it, there is a wide disparity in patient matching um, capability from different technologies. But that knowledge of that discrepancy is very compartmentalized like we know it Verado knows it because the first thing we do when we go out to every customer is we say let's look at your existing patient matching let us run all of your patients through our system and we will give you an immediate x-ray <laughs> if you will of all of your duplicates and all of the overlays the false positives where where two people's not working on the same one we'll tell you all the ones that we can find that your existing system didn't find and um, we're not sure that we found all of them either but we know that we found a huge number that were missed by the predecessor technology. And so in a broad sense, I can tell you that the patient matching technology that comes bundled with your EHR product, um, it's sub capable. It's much, that's the least capable patient matching technology that's out there. The patient matching technology that is part of a bespoke EMPI is better. And there's like two strata that, that but, but I'm telling you that simply because Verado has that experience. The government hasn't published that and there's been no stand-up of any uh, benchmarking capability to make every customer a more, every hospital system a more knowledgeable uh, evaluator themselves. Um, and, you know, you mentioned, you know, obviously the abhorrent situation where two, two patients' information gets commingled. How often does that happen? Is that a rare occurrence or is that something that happens more often than it should? Well, I guess anytime it one instance, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, but look, um, the good news is, is that overlays, false, they also call them false overlays, meaning two records on one person, mm -hmm. uh, you know, yeah, two different, whatever. Uh, overlays happen a, a very small percentage of the time. So a fraction of a fraction of a percent. So, that, and, and I'm telling you that not because that's really what we, we do measure that a bit. And it is, so if duplicates happen, you know, anywhere from 18% to 20, anywhere from 10% to 25% duplicates happen. That's kind of what we, that's what Verado has seen. That's kind of what the independent mm -hmm. polling says. If duplicates are in that range, then false positives or overlays are 0.01% maybe 0.1%, maybe one in a, actually one in a thousand would be way too much. One in 10,000, one in a million. That's really what you expect with false positives because they are so uh, 
injurious to a patient's right. safety. All right. Well, um, did you have anything else you wanted to add uh, before we wrap things up? No, I guess, um, you know, no, I'm very hopeful. I'm very hopeful that this issue of patient matching is finally going to make it to the attention of people who care. Um, you asked about pervasiveness, and um, the other thing to note about patient matching is that historically it's been part of the revenue cycle responsibility within a hospital system. And revenue cycle is interested in getting the bills out and getting the claims approved. Mm. Uh, and But what we're finding is that it's that patient matching now, I mentioned there's an inflection point, patient matching now is an essential ingredient in clinical decision support, care coordination, even telemedicine systems. You know, there's a big, there's a whole lot of talk right now about telemedicine system allowing us to amplify our ability to give care more quickly, especially in this pandemic situation. But telemedicine systems, one of the unknown issues with them is that they create a patient record, and that right. patient record rarely connects well with the HR record. So the, the telemedicine provider doesn't know what the, the, that patient's history was. And then when that patient shows up in the hospital, they rarely can connect the telemedicine event visit with an, an inpatient event. So my point here is that, um, is that I do think that hospital executives, uh, the ownership of the problem of patient matching probably needs to move from revenue cycle to somebody who is in charge of, clearly in charge of patient safety, and or this these newer reign, uh, this newer realm of of, uh, of healthcare uh, innovation, whether it's precision medicine, telemedicine, you name it. These, all those things depend upon patient matching, although the executives that own those initiatives rarely understand that. I guess I'll end with that. Well, Mark, I want to thank you uh, so much for joining me today. This was really informative. Um, thank you. Thank you again. Okay. Well, it's been nice talking to you, Jake. <laughs> Jake. Thanks uh, a lot. All right. And that wraps up Episode 6 of PSQH, the podcast. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time. You can find more information about the podcast and listen to on-demand episodes on the show's page on psqh.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify. Thanks again for listening and stay safe.